Successful author, entrepreneur, and philanthropist, Amy Reese Anderson once quipped about the day after Christmas. "'Twas the day after Christmas, and all through the house, nothing would fit me, not even a blouse. The cookies I'd nibbled, the eggnog I'd taste, all the holiday parties had gone to my waist. When I hit the scales, there arose such a number, when I walked to the store, less a walk than a lumber." I'd remember the marvelous meals I'd prepared, the gravies and sauces and beef nicely reared, the wine and the rum balls, the bread and the cheese, and the way I never said, no thank you please. As I dressed myself in my husband's old shirt, I am prepared once again to do battle with dirt. I said to myself, as only I can, you can't spend the winter Disguised as a man, so away with the last of the sour cream dip. Get rid of the fruitcake, every cracker and chip. Every last bit of food I like must be banished to all the additional ounces have vanished. I won't have a cookie, not even a lick. I'll only chew on a long celery stick. I won't have hot biscuits or cornbread or pie. I'll munch on a carrot and quietly cry. <laughs> I'm hungry, I'm lonesome, and life is a bore. But isn't that what January is for? <laughs> Unable to giggle, no longer a riot. Happy New Year to all, and to all a good diet. <laughs> the wondrous things of Christmas. They all must come to an end. Then the diets begin, the work resumes, and the boredom of January follows. We celebrate so many wondrous things at Christmas time. The angels, the star, the shepherds, the wise men, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, and our Savior. Eight days after that first Christmas... Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple, and they dedicated him. And as they did, Simeon prophesied that Jesus would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. And Joseph and Mary were amazed. After these amazing things, Luke tells us that there are 12 long years of silence where the child grew and became strong, increasing in wisdom and the grace of God. This seemingly transitional information to move the story along about Jesus seems rather innocuous. Twelve years where Jesus just grew, nothing spectacular. And then after our story today, we see another 18 years where Jesus grew in stature and wisdom and in favor with God and men. Thirty or so years of Jesus' life, we are told he grew in wisdom and stature and in the grace of God. And only three years are dedicated to his ministry. In three quick years, a man named Jesus changed the world and continues to be the most influential person who has ever lived uh, this book called The Bible documents his life and ministry and continues to be the most read book ever, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. But three years of ministry didn't happen apart from the 30. 
There was the 30 and then the 3. And so today, after we've celebrated the wondrous things of Christmas, we're going to ask two questions about a story that Luke gives us about Jesus from Luke 2, verses 41 through 52. It raises two questions, and one of them is this. What is the place of the wondrous things? What is the place of the celebratory, the mountaintop? But also, just as importantly, what is the place of the mundane, the daily living after Christmas? It's the mountaintops that we remember, the Christmases long ago, the times of celebration and the milestones. And I can remember some of those Christmases as a young child where my brother and I received some spectacular gifts. But when I think about my memories of Christmases as a child, I remember the way that I used to line my presents up in my room. I would put clothes over here and toys here and candy over here. And I would go back day after day looking at them, trying to keep the feeling of Christmas alive. At some point, however, these presents were put away. The candy was all eaten up and the clothes went to the closet. I love Christmas because it's fun. I love Christmas because it's significant. It's my favorite time of year because it's memorable when we celebrate the birth of Christ and we meet Christ on the mountaintop because it is there oftentimes that we lay down the milestones that we never forget. We may not remember on the other hand, the moments of daily existence, the way we remember the mountaintops. But what we do in the daily is just as important as what we do on the mountaintops. Our physical lives depend on regularity, the persistent beat of our heart, the constant breath in our lungs. And our spiritual lives depend on the constant as well. The small prayers we make for patience the intercession we make for a friend, the scripture reading early in the morning time, the token of care that we show for the needy or the blessings we seek to bestow on our children, the Bible studies conducted week after week, and the discipleship that we pursue day after day. These things are important to our spiritual lives as well. But the problem that we face with our human nature is that we tend to live for the sensational. We like excitement, emotion, and energy. We make big decisions in these moments, but these moments must translate into movement. The only way to get up the mountain is to climb it in the first place. There are the days of preparation, the everyday the mundane. Are the days of preparation any less important than the days of the mundane? Was Moses God's man any less during his preparation in Midian than when he met God on Mount Sinai? The temptation is to devalue the daily so that we end up living between the mountaintops. But there's spiritual purpose in both. The mountaintop is the place that we often receive our direction or affirm 
our calling, but we grow strong in the mundane, the grind of daily living. What about you? Have you looked past the value of the mundane? Are you living between the mountaintops or just living for the mountaintops? A few summers ago, Melody and I decided to take our triplets on what we call a heritage tour. And so we packed up and we traveled about to Dallas to show our boys where it all started. We went to the house we lived in during seminary and told them about their first days there. We visited Baylor Hospital and let them meet the NICU nurses that take care of triplets. We went to Dallas Seminary where I prepared for ministry and that's when it hit me. It had been a while. I hadn't been back to the seminary since I graduated eight years earlier. A lot had happened during those eight years. You might say I had matured and grown. Maybe I was a little more jaded in a sense. But as we looked around campus and I reflected, it reminded me again again of God's goodness and his faithfulness to me and my family. I couldn't believe an infertile couple birthed triplets right in the middle of a seminary career. And somehow, by the grace of God, we were able to continue. I thought for sure we'd have to quit in revisiting God's faithfulness to us, to me, there that day was special. The days of preparation there were hard, but going back became one of those little mountaintops where I remembered and reflected. Maybe you've got a few of those that you can think of as well. And mine was special because I got to show my triplets where it all started. And so after 12 years of daily living, Luke tells us this unusual story about a mountaintop that Jesus experienced as a young boy. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days required, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. Instead, they thought that he was somehow in the caravan. And so they went a day's journey. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Now I've run away to do my own thing a few times in my life. And while my parents may have viewed me as lost in that moment, I wasn't really lost. I was just fishing. But there's a time or two, there's a time or two that I went fishing and I didn't tell my parents and they made sure every time thereafter that I told them where I was going. Imagine getting started on a three-day journey only to learn that a third of the way back home, your son's not part of the caravan. For them, a day's journey was probably about 20 miles. So you can imagine being on foot, how irritating that would have been to turn the whole caravan around, family, friends, and everybody. You see, back then they traveled in caravans in order to dodge the dangerous thieves that were on the roads. And so everyone would have had something to say to Joseph and Mary about this mishap. 
Imagine the panic. Imagine the anxious thoughts. Uh, This was no mountaintop for Joseph and Mary. And when they didn't find him, they returned back to Jerusalem another 20 miles looking for him. And then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Uh, This Passover would have been a momentous occasion for Jesus. A mountaintop experience, you might say. Uh, Jerusalem was a geographic high ground, and the observance of the festivals and the feasts were also spiritual high ground for those who observed them. The process of watching and waiting year after year after the Passover, observing and watching Mary and Joseph express their faith, must have required patience for Jesus, the Son of God. One day he would be of age. And this Passover was different. Jesus was 12. Now, we don't know if the teachers asked Jesus to stay back or if he stayed back purposefully. But over the next several days, he would have been filled with excitement, with learning, and with confirmation. Finally, Jesus was old enough to engage in the temple. And when Jesus spoke, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. In modern day Jewish life, a boy comes of age at the age of 13 when he enters puberty. He becomes what we call bar mitzvah, which means the son of commandment. Bar mitzvah means a, uh, it marks a time when a young man officially assumes religious keeping and legal obligations under the law. And while bar mitzvah didn't happen in the same way in the first century, it's important to note that Jesus was of age when this event happened. Uh, Some say that this was his bar mitzvah, so to speak. You see, Josephus, the Jewish historian of the first century, noted that in that day, by the age of 12, young men evidenced wisdom and piety in a public way. Josephus also notes that King Ammon came of, to the throne when he was 12 and Samuel was 12 when he became prophesying and that that was also the first time that God called him by name. By mentioning Jesus' age, Luke is pointing to an age where he was able to evidence his special relationship to God. And now Mary and Joseph were pious Parents, we might say. Luke tells us that they went to the Passover every year. Now, only those within 20 miles of Jerusalem had to go to the Passover every year, and Nazareth was about 60 miles away. And so Mary and Joseph weren't required to go every year, but we see here that they went anyway. In the 11 years of silence before this event, Jesus would have memorized the scriptures, he would have learned. And experienced the Passover with his family. But this age was also important to a Jewish father. This age of 12. Joseph, as a Jewish father, was required to teach Jesus the carpentry trade beginning at the age of 12. And so in the coming days and months after this Passover, Jesus would have been expected to accompany his father in the work of carpentry 
spending many hours in the shop and on the job. Notice what happens next as we continue reading in the story. When Joseph and Mary saw him, they were bewildered. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you are looking for me? Do you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And yet they on their part did not understand the statement which he had made to them. When a family attended the Passover, they were not required to stay the whole seven days. And so this Passover, Joseph and Mary, while following the law closely, left the Passover at an appropriate time, but Jesus stayed behind. Now we don't know exactly what his motive in staying behind was, but we know it wasn't carelessness or disrespect to his parents. He intentionally let them go in order to demonstrate something more fully about his mission. That Jesus loved and knew the law from an early age. And he used this opportunity to seek out teachers to listen and to ask questions and to respond with answers. Uh, This event was the culmination of a time of preparation as Jesus moved closer to prioritizing the will of his heavenly father. Joseph and Mary's response, on the other hand, would have been typical of a parent who temporarily lost their child. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Don't you know that you have to stay with us so you don't get lost? They were worried. They, were ser- they had searched for him all over for three days. The Greek here literally says that they looked for him in pain. Jesus' response, you don't need to look at all. You know that I need to be in my father's house. That brings light to this whole passage. The contrast between Mary's words, your father and I, and Jesus' words, my father, unlocks the meaning of this passage. You see, Jesus chose this critical stage in his life when he was 12 on the brink of manhood to tell his parents that his loyalty lie in the mission from his heavenly father. Joseph would have been looking forward to going home with Jesus and starting him on his father's track to carpentry. But this play on words makes clear that while Jesus' mission would have been defined by his heavenly father, not his earthly father, Jesus would follow his calling even if it brought pain and misunderstanding. And as faithful to God as Joseph and Mary were, they wouldn't understand until much, much later. Over time, it would become clearer, but not before a few more mishaps would occur. While Jesus, in this moment, in this situation, could have added more momentous things to this occasion, notice what he did. And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and he continued to be subject to them. And his mother treasured all these things, in her heart, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. He went back, he obeyed his parents, and involved himself in the daily living as life, in life as the son of a carpenter. 
There's no sensationalism here. Just growing and learning and preparing. For 18 years, Jesus lives the daily, increasing in wisdom and stature in the favor of God and men. For 30 out of 33 years, Jesus lived the mundane, the normal, the basic. Think about it for a moment. If the Son of God saw out teachers, listened, asked questions, and gave answers about the things of God, if he studied in the mundane, how much more should we focus on the preparation and the daily? It could be said that our whole lives are a preparation. A season of maturing into the likeness of Christ in readiness for when we see Jesus face to face. Do you see life that way? One of the reasons we value theological education, examination, and ordination at Wayside is because God calls people. And he prepares people during a season of life that is so important to ministry. I would never replace the years of theological education I had the privilege to have at DTS. But at DTS, people are hungry. They're hungry for the word and to fulfill their call. And all of us experience that out in the world, apart from DTS, people aren't always so eager to understand more about God than they already understand. But at Wayside, we don't want to be like that. We're not like that. Let us not be like that. After all, here at Wayside, we are a community rooted in the Word. We're a community rooted in the living Word, Jesus Christ, in our daily lives as we live with Him, and in the written Word, the Scriptures, the Bible. Uh, Colossians 3, verses 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you've received Christ as Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. This is the picture of the daily. Uh, Receiving Christ as Lord and Savior in our lives first and then walking in him. The prayers, the intercession, the scripture reading, the care and the blessings that we bestow on our families and on one another. The fellowship of community, the Bible studies week after week, and the discipleship and the recovery groups. The encouragement that we have and the building up of one another. This grounds us. This grounds us much more than we realize. They root us and they establish us in our faith. They give us solidarity with Christ The kind of solidarity we need in order to become spiritually strong. What an example Jesus displays. 30 years of preparation. I remember my mountaintops well. And I'm sure you do. There was an old Boy Scout camp in the Cherokee National Forest on Parksville Lake in Tennessee. Our church stretched to buy that piece of property and slowly began the process of renovating that old place. Camp Cherokee would be a place where youth could have a great time and come and meet God in a special way. Do business with God, as we used to say. I remember that they would always tell us at camp orientation, you're standing 
on holy ground. Uh, because camp had been set aside for the work of God. Uh, the first year I went to camp, we stayed in tents. We got really dirty and we bathed in the lake. But as the years went by, the renovations increased and it would allow more and more youth to be reached for the cause of Christ. I would witness baptisms. I would witness repaired relationships and commitments to full-time ministry. It was a holy place. And it still is. I was one of those kids. One who would dedicate their life at that camp to Christ. To the work of Christ in the world. It was there that I believed at the age of 18 that God had called me to full-time Christian ministry. I remember walking down front one evening at Camp Cherokee as an 18-year-old young man with a burning question. See, I didn't see myself as a pastor. I wasn't the most humorous person. I wasn't very good at English, and I was quiet. I wasn't the one who commanded attention when I walked in the room, and I certainly couldn't speak in front of people all that well. Even though I did take speech in high school. How do you know for sure you're called to ministry, I asked. How do you know? How do you know that you know? I was scared to death that God would call this math guy to ministry. The pastor said, don't worry about it. Because if you're called, God won't leave you alone. Those were the most calming words that I'd ever heard. Don't worry about it. I heard the first half of what he had to say. And so I didn't. I enrolled in mechanical engineering at the University of Tennessee, and I didn't worry about it a bit. And while there wouldn't be the same kind of mountaintops over the next 10 years, there would be mountaintops for sure. Uh, meeting my wife, working with my father in business, being in involved in my church, teaching youth and singing and returning to Camp Cherokee to be a counselor. It was all wonderful, and we had a great life. But God wouldn't leave me alone. Over and over again, I would draw near to him in the daily, and I would meet him again in that call, where finally I would come to realize what my pastor had told me, that God wouldn't leave me alone. At least if I failed, I could say that I had tried. I couldn't stand before God one day in good conscience explaining why I didn't try. And so I tried. I tried. And God made sure I succeeded. And so we come full circle here today. And as we do, two questions leap off the page for us. The first question, will we prioritize as Jesus did? Will we prioritize the will of God in our lives as we move into the new year? As we reflect on 2021, maybe we need to decide where our loyalty was proven the most. Did our responses to our current cultural conditions reflect the will of God in our lives? Did the pandemic, the politics, and the pressures of daily life derail our walk with Christ in the daily? The second question. 
Will we value the mundane as much as the mountaintop? Because the wondrous things of Christmas, they all eventually come to an end. And then the diets begin, and the work resumes, and the drudgery follows. Will we see these days to come as the Proverbs do? That steady plotting brings prosperity. Will we become a plotter, persistent, determined, and enduring? Will we do business with God in the daily as much as we do on the mountaintops? William Carey has attributed the title, the father of modern missions. He was born poor and obtained a poor education. He was apprenticed as a shoemaker but didn't make the grade. He tried starting and running a school, but it functioned poorly. His marriage was an unhappy one, during which his daughter died sooner than expected. He was a deeply committed believer, but his attempt at pastoring a church hindered his chance of ordination because, by common consent, his sermons were too tedious and boring. And despite such a flawed track record, Carey formed a missionary society, became the first candidate, and set sail to India. This failed individual translated the Bible into Bengali, Oriya, Marathi, Hindi, Assamese, and Sanskrit, as well as portions of it into 29 other languages. At one moment, he lost 10 years of translation work in a fire, and he just started over. He contributed to literature, education, literacy, agriculture, He contributed in a huge way to getting infanticide outlawed and much, much more. William Carey impacted the lives of millions of people. And before dying, knowing that they wanted to write about him, he wrote the following. If you should think it's worthwhile to write my life, I will give you a criterion by which you may judge of its correctness. If he gives me any credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond this will be too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. Let us pray. Lord God, as we come today and as we look at this passage, oh Lord God, help us to live in the mundane just as much as the mountaintops. As we come off this celebration of Christmas, Lord, let us appreciate it for the wondrous things that it is and the beauty of celebrating your birth. Lord, let us love Christmas today every bit as yesterday. Uh, But Lord, uh, let us also look at the days to come uh, that we might become steady plotters. For Lord, it's in the mundane that you grow us, that you teach us, and that you form us into the image of Christ himself. Thank you, Lord. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you...